You're listening to the most fraudulent F1 podcast with Dan, a.k.a. Engine Mode 11. I secretly moonlight as hell at Marco at race weekends. And Blake. And Spanners. Sorry, and Spanners. Because uh, Blake's stuck in America after going to the Circuit of Americas for the US Grand Prix. So fuck him. And uh, as a replacement, we are completing our podcast exchange uh, program that we did. I went on uh, Missed Apex for the, was it the Singapore Grand Prix? Yes, sir. Yeah, where Red Bull had an absolute stinker. So it's only fair that now Lewis Hamilton's been disqualified. We should Mate. bring you spanners. I was going to say, that is the worst weekend to bring me on. It's all right to admit, isn't it, here, that I am a Lewis Hamilton. I'm a Lewis Hamilton fan. Sorry, Engine Breaking Pod listeners. And yeah, yeah this is um, a heartbreaking one to bring me on for. And I was very visibly annoyed and upset as the decision to disqualify Lewis Hamilton and some other people that I don't care about came through live on the live stream and I yeah, posted the live reaction on the Missed Apex TikTok, but you could just see my face falling and it was just utter shock and like, wow, are you, are you kidding? And somebody sent me a message going, oh, I bet you cried yourself to sleep. No, that's wrong. I, I cried and stayed awake and ranted on the internet because it's just that, that pure fan experience of actually celebrating a pretty decent race. Yeah, he didn't win. But you go, wow, the team kind of let him down. Maybe Norris could have opened the barn door for Hamilton in the same way that he did for Verstappen. Maybe the pit stops could have been faster. But but Lewis raced really well. This is great. This gives us hope. And the car looked kind of good. And then and it got cruelly whipped away from under us. Yeah. Did it look good because it was illegal? Or did it look good uh, <laughs> because Rebel ran theirs too high? So they were illegal. Lots of questions. Are you going to get them answered yeah. here? No, probably not. But there you go. But thanks I've for got listening. Guesses. I can do. I can do guesses if you want. Yeah, why not? This is we we operate uh, this podcast on vibes. Um, Blake is the knowledgeable one. Um, I'm just the bloke that stole a living working in F1 for six years. Let's see. Let's look at your your live chat. Sabu Maru says, "Hey, Spanners, cheaty car equals." Cheaty car. So yeah, Lewis Hamilton did great. I I wonder. Like, obviously, the margins are are fine. And since these new regulations came in, since the ground effect, that's kind of brought the plank back into play. Because before before this, we'd not really heard about the plank. The last disqualification was in 1994, I think, on the Ferrari. So it's not really been something that's an issue until last season. I think Red Bull had some wear on the plank, but not a measured point. And then, of course, we had all the stuff around the technical, uh, the technical directives over the summer, and you saw Red Bull in Singapore. That was Singapore was the only time that Verstappen before this weekend had his plank inspected because, like an angry nerd at four a.m., <laughs> I was going through all the scrutineering reports because I was just really interested. Like, because you go disqualified for the plank, that's not happened before. So you go, when when was Verstappen tested? For example, he was tested at Singapore where Red Bull tried to bring in a new floor, the floor they're running now, and yeah. they had to revert back to the old floor. And, and this is, I'm guessing a little bit, but I think the common knowledge is in order to make that old floor work on the bumps, they cranked the ride height up, had a really bad you know, weekend. And that was a weekend where they had their plank scrutineered. So Lewis Hamilton before this weekend has only been scrutineered for the plank one time. And that was, the, that was when he was on the podium in Spain. So I put to you that any time Hamilton finishes on the podium, they go and check his plank. Let's get him. Let's see what we can do. You want to start? This is this podcast thrives on conspiracies. So by all good. means, oh, you can, oh, good. In that case, I'm fit, fit right in. You can go for it. But I honestly, even working in F1 for the time I did, I was surprised to learn that not every car is checked. Yes. Yeah. So it's more like a random drugs test kind of thing yeah. so people were really upset about that people were saying well if you tested two car four cars and half them of them failed you should have then changed the whole schedule of the post race to inspect everyone and it's just not practical is it there's not the time to go no it's everything stop stop getting on planes to places we want to check everyone now i think it's fair to say if you check four which by the way even four is a lot i, I was looking down and most yeah. of the time it's none or two so this time they've checked four and it would be a good one to check the cars out because it was bumpy and there was, you know, you go, right, if we're going to catch anyone out, we'll catch them out here. But is that the purpose of that regulation to catch people out at the bumpiest possible track? So they go, okay, well, um, the car, what the, the Mercedes car looks like it was working, but it was like probably 
you know, freak bumps rather than say every lap in Spa where Verstappen was lifting to make sure he didn't bottom out. You know, this is probably a little bit of more a more irregular track surface, you know, catching them out after one Friday practice session. So you go, well, what's what's the aim then of the scrutineering? Um, okay, so we found 50% of the samples we tested failed. That's something then to look at next time. That's something that you'll talk to the teams about and go, okay, in our spot check, 50% failed. So actually everyone else gets a little bit of a heads up now to not fail it in the future. But it's an interesting one. Yeah, you're right. Like I knew nothing about the scrutineering process. And now I've just sat and read every scrutineering report from the <laughs> season and learned, and just learned loads. It's re- I, I recommend it. Uh, I'll give you a link to the documents that you can share with your viewers and listeners. And if you've just got like a spare half an hour, sit and read a few FIA post-race reports. It's a, it's a really interesting insight into what the officials are doing. Yeah, if we give that to our listeners, they're going to realise we're frauds and we just regurgitate everything oh. out of the... Uh, <laughs> oh, was that, was that yeah, your secret? Give the FIA documents portal. But testing the four cars, like you say, is, is normally it's only like one, two, maybe at a push you get three. There's been none for loads of them. Yeah, and this time we get four. Now, I wonder if they tested the first two, Hamilton and Charles, they both failed and then they thought, well, shit, we better test two more just in case. Otherwise... You know, they they kept testing until they actually got someone that was legal, and they were like, "Okay, it's not everyone, thank God." And they just sort of got to to four, and they thought, "Yeah, that'll do, fifty percent. That's that's a that's a pass in our books. We'll take that." Do you know the thing that surprised me? If you like your conspiracy theories, the thing that surprised me is it's not random. So I thought maybe something would be generated or draw straws out of a hat, but it's actually actively chosen. So they have to go out of their way and go what. Well, Shall we inspect planks today? Yes, we shall. Uh, who shall we inspect? Uh, Derek and, and Billy Bob. And you go, well, actually, that is, and I'm not, it's Joe Bauer is the head yeah. scrutineer they talk about all the time. So whilst absolutely not um, suggesting any wrongdoing there, that that system is open to conscious and unconscious bias. And, well, it's open to that. And it's also open to uh, gaming the referee. So now your team, Red Bull, does have a slight bit of history of gaming oh, the referee. In fact, I would no. I I think it's a compliment. Do you, do you, Manchester United in the nineties, mm-hmm. everyone said they get more decisions, they get more penalties, they get let off because they had a system where they would systematically game the referee throughout the game and put the referee under pressure. Now, Red Bull are fantastic at putting the referee under pressure and knowing the rules, understanding the laws and playing the system. So playing the referee, you could argue, is part of the the sport. And now you can't say that Red Bull haven't benefited from doing that, <laughs> from playing the officials. They have. And and in a way, like, well done. You know, what rules have they broken doing that? They haven't broken any. No, I wouldn't I wouldn't say Red Bull have uh, have gained that. I'd say one person has, and his name is Jonathan Wheatley. And if I'm ever in court on a murder charge, I want that man to be my lawyer. Yeah, man. And whoever is the person that gets Aston Martin off of all those charges. You remember when Aston Martin touched the car and you're not supposed to before the five second penalty. And then they argued oh, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my God. They argued that because one time it wasn't punished, they also shouldn't be punished, which I think you could find a precedent for a Lord not being punished for just about anything. But that wasn't the only one they got off with. And they nearly got away with um, Sebastian Vettel losing that. And that losing, losing that podium when they had a fuel leak and they couldn't provide a fuel sample. So I don't know, playing the referee is part of it, but I was just surprised that the scrutineering process is that open. So I didn't know that. Now, now we do, we can add a whole layer of tinfoil hattery to everything. Right, it's been long enough now, and I may have mentioned this already on the podcast once or mentioned it somewhere, but that whole Hungarian Grand Prix where Vettel didn't have enough fuel... Oh, I heard from someone that was very close to all that happening that the fuel sample was knocked over. Oh no! And they weren't able to draw enough to to bring it back up to level again. Oh, so the official line was that it was a fuel leak, and that's I mean, why they were trying. Technically, it was to... a fuel leak, but when yeah, someone knocked it from the top of the container, oh man! That is imagine... what I heard from inside the uh, pit lane. So from an Aston Martin person, that would be the only I way. I wouldn't possibly confirm or deny that. Yeah, but that. if it was an FIA official, they wouldn't, because then you could just go, whoops, I've knocked mm. over Lewis Hamilton's fuel sample. Oh, no. So if you're Derek in the fuel sample department, that is a really, really bad day. And that would, won't be like a high profile mechanic or anything. That will 
be like an intern job, probably. I don't know. Like, you know, running running the fuel sample back and forward. Oh, no. Or do they have a specialist fuel person in a team, Dan? Yes, they do have yeah. a lubricants and fuel person from uh, their representatives. Uh, I don't know who Aston Martin run. I don't know who they're... Official. Let's not let's not drag yeah. out the names of all the past Aston yeah. Martin fuel people because people will be yeah. straight on Twitter going. Dan said that you knocked it over because it cost costing a podium. Yeah, and it does it does make a difference what position you lose from this kind of thing. So in a way, it's better that Lewis Hamilton didn't charge down Max Verstappen at the end of that race. Lose lose a win. If he'd have lost a win, I mean, my lot my lot was going off anyway. Imagine if the, if it had lost a win. Yeah, Team LH having a field day. Bless them. <laughs> I think you're allowed to be upset. No, I, think yeah, I, agree, I agree. I agree. And it's come off the back of it's come off the back of Lewis's error in the previous race with George Russell. It's come <laughs> off the back of I think maybe four or five incidents with George Russell as well. So in a season where he's still showing pace, the car has been terrible. His teammate has been fast enough to to be in the way, but not fast enough to be substantially better. That's the frustration. You just go, oh, this could have been so much more this season. So get it all out of the way this season. But this was on the back of like a few very bad weekends. There was like finally some something to celebrate. Finally, uh, but you know, because us Lewis Hamilton fans, we've had we've had a rough journey down. There's barely been a thing to celebrate over the last. I know fifteen what, years. It's been hard. Jeddah. Jeddah 2021, was that the last win for Lewis? Is, it, is that really? I think ah, so. But I, and I think like Lewis Hamilton fans are not used to seasons without a win at all. No, so after 2008, yeah. After 2008, 2009, he was a, a bit of a thug and seemed to be just playing <laughs> billiards. Didn't he? I think he hit Massa eight or nine times in 2009. I think he had a coming together with Maldonado as well. And so that I was mean, frustrating. Who didn't? Yeah, that's true. 2010, uh, Valencia clash with Maldonado. 2010, back on form again. And then 2011, he just seemed to go disappear into his personal life. And, and Button, Button disappeared, didn't he, for, his, uh, oh, for a yeah, second place yeah. championship. 2012, again, good, but frustrated by the, that, that, that McLaren. So we've had wilderness years before. It hasn't all been glory, you know. No, no, but it could be worse though, Spanners. Try working at Red Bull when they had Renault engines. That was a fun time. Oh, do you know what? I thought, were they not uh, Tag Heuer's? I thought they were Tag Heuer's. Only for one year, I think. Oh, was it? Okay. Yeah, I remember, and then Tag uh, stopped paying the money to rebrand brand it. Uh, there was a question at a press conference where they said, you know, oh, are you, um, are you struggling? Are you unhappy? Or, you know, do you want to credit Renault or something like that for a win? And he went, uh, we don't have Renault's. We have yeah. Tag Heuer's, nah. actually. Nah. Oh, fun times. But I'll give you some, I'll give you some hope. As a, on, as a Mercedes fan. And this is something that me and Blake have picked up on in a few races now with the Mercedes. The last stint of the Mercedes, they were lapping and gaining time on Max. So there is something inherently strange we've realised with the W14, where that when it's on low fuel, its race pace is just godly. And we don't know where it comes from. And I don't think Mercedes really knows either, to be honest. Um, but yeah, so that's some good news with the floor upgrade as well. The illegal floor upgrade, ah, am I right? I mean, <laughs> I think it was genuinely unlucky, it, especially as there's another team that that fell foul of that sprint weekend bumpy track. It's it's they'll learn, and it's a, a brand new floor for them as well. Mm. I, I do think it was genuinely unlucky, and they'll be they'll be kicking themselves. And I don't think those are the only two cars that would have fallen foul. I think if they had the time and did the whole grid, I think we'd have seen at least two more in addition to those two failing. Um, is Mexico smooth like a billiard ball? It's smoother than Cota, but that's not hard, to be honest. Cota is one of the most unforgiving tracks. And the problem with it as well is it changes every year because they've got a subsidence issue at that track. They said I was a fool to build an F1 track in a swamp, but I did yeah. it anyway. And, and that track sunk. But then I built another track, and that one sunk. <laughs> then I built a third track. Um, yeah. So yeah, subsidence is an issue. But they were really ambitious with that track. I remember when you know they first announced it, and they were showing like the the mound that they built for turn one, and it's worth it because turn one's great. But if you've got an inherent subsidence issue, that doesn't sound very fixable. No, 
and every year they're resurfacing it. And guess what? They're resurfacing it again next year. It's every time you turn up there, you have no idea what the surface is going to be like, what the bumps are going to be like. So yeah, I'm not surprised that we had these uh, issues with ride height and and planks and whatnot. Um, but yeah, shame really, because I actually quite like the circuit. I just they need to sort out the bloody foundations, but I don't know how you do that. I'm not a builder. Oh, I'm just smashing my desk up. Classic. Nothing but professionalism on the engine braking podcast. There we go, sorted. So yeah, but here you go. I'll give you. I'm going back to the uh, the, the plank issue. They're saying that uh, Mercedes was like, "Oh, it's a setup issue because of the sprint weekend. We don't get much time in practice to run high fuel loads." Yada yada yada. And I get that, and I, I do buy into it. But did you know that in Baku this year, the reason Alpine uh, broke their curfew after uh, what was it qualifying an FP1 on a Friday was because they had fears of plank wear. So this isn't a new thing, and it's perfectly possible to have identified it early enough to go, hmm, you know what, maybe we should uh, sort this out. But uh, Was Baku a sprint weekend? I'm pretty sure it was this year, wasn't it? Oh, okay. Yeah, no, it's, it's a mistake. I'm not sitting here saying it's not a mistake. It's just unlucky. Well, it is unlucky because it could have been a weekend where they didn't check anyone or a weekend where they just checked two people. So whilst the rules are important and I understand why they have those plank rules and, and I completely agree with intermittent testing of it, I'm still very happy to sit here and go, that was also unlucky, you know. Mm. Yeah. And uh, you're free to do that on this podcast, mate. We, you know, there's nothing wrong with being a fanboy. I'm, I am staunchly, yeah, but I also think, like, I like what you guys do, which is, you know, you have an affiliation to Red Bull, you are happier, even if you're not a fan of a team, you're happier if a certain team or driver wins than a, another driver wins. And I posted once on Twitter that any F1 journo who hasn't told you who they support is lying to you. And I got a very, very top, like one of the most famous <laughs> F1 journalists in the world drop into my DMs and say, hey, that's not true. And I had a big, long chat with him. And I was saying to him, okay, you might not be a fanboy of a driver, but surely there's some results that make you happier than other results. And he went, well, yeah. And I went, well, there you go. So you've got some bias. I think just be honest about it. If you're a bit of a fan of a driver, no one's going to take that against you. No one cares that Gary Lineker's a, a Leicester fan. Do they? No one cares that uh, Mika Richards is is you know gunning for City over United. I don't, I don't think it's a problem at all to, to do content even for journalists to just be a supporter of of one team or another yeah yeah but that's where you're wrong spanners we actually take pride in hating every team and driver equally on this podcast is it yeah all right yeah unless <laughs> unless one of them wants to hook us up with stuff which we're quite big fans oh, of yeah. williams at the minute because they're being quite friendly I with us was a fan of ferrari for a good six oh, months yeah, because yeah. they gave me paddock passes to silverstone, silverstone. Yeah. and so i was in and that's posh that is really posh when you're in the little paddock club thing compared to being in the grandstand. So we were there with your complimentary your drinks in the little Caribbean bar or whatever it is at Silverstone. And then we wanted to go and see the cars out at Maggots and Beckett's. And it was like going out into the Wild West after the luxury of the paddock <laughs> club. You know, we walked in amongst the, the, the throngs and we were like, oh no, we need to get back to the bar. You know, like in a desert, you're going, water, water. We were going, ah, oh, complimentary champagne. I don't think I can go back. The big question and uh, a recurring theme on this podcast, did you get to use fancy toilets or did you have to use the regular ones? So I accidentally used the driver toilet initially Ooh. and and then I got told off for that. And then um, someone uh, someone said that Perez went in just after me. So there you go. Oh, Hopefully right. I left it clean for Perez. But yeah, I did accidentally use the driver toilets. No wonder he came out complaining and feeling sick afterwards. Right, <laughs> there we go. Ah, oh, dear. But speaking of Ferrari... <laughs> Sorry, your live chat's distracting me. Oh, no, they do. <laughs> so Spanners is fandom is based on we check in who gave us gifts. Yeah, I, I am open to bribery, as I'm sure Dan is. Yeah, yeah, no, we, we say, listen, everyone's got a price, including us. Uh, Mine's ooh, low. Hey, beautiful segue. Including everyone having a price, we've got a price, and here's a message from our sponsors. 
Yes, it's that time again for a word from our sponsors, NordVPN. You know them by now. It's a product that me and Blake have used long before this podcast was even a thing. And we are very thankful for their ongoing support to the podcast and for you listeners. If you're tired of being geo-blocked on Netflix and uh, things like that, then you need yourself NordVPN and you can get yourself an exclusive discount off your plan and four months for free. All you've got to do is go to nordvpn.com slash engine. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. So what are you doing? Come on, they've been with us for nearly a year now. If you haven't got it by now, what are you waiting for? So that's nordvpn.com slash engine. Thank you. Cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. There you go. That's the bills paid for this month. And sorry, yeah, but I was going to do my other segue. It was going to be to Ferrari and um, Charles Leclerc's miracle one-stop tyre strategy. Uh, did anyone actually believe that was ever going to work from the moment they even muttered it? Right, so I think I think they did. And, and what strikes me most is the complete lack of communication, it seems like, between Leclerc and his race engineer. Because when that final sad message came across, which is, do, do you think we should change to the other plan? And his answer was like, well, well, yeah, but ages ago and it's far <laughs> too late now. So that means that there was no conversation happening where we go, what, what do you think we should do? You know, it's time to pull the trigger. It's now or never. And we're at the point of road, no return. Should we box? That conversation wasn't happening. They just went, no, oh, this isn't going well. Should we go to plan D? And he's like, well, plan C's ruined my race, but it's too late. So I don't know what's, what's going on. Like whether Leclerc saw it all going badly and just felt so sad that he just didn't then correct them. Like it, 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 it felt like he'd given up. You know, you could see his head down in the car. Yeah, yeah. And again, I'm not claiming to be an expert on F1, which makes this point even more poignant. But as soon as I realised that the Ferrari was quick in qualifying, I was like, oh God, they've set it up for one yeah. lap pace rather than race pace on a track that is known to be sandpaper to tyres in the Ferrari, which is known to have absolutely no tyre management at all. This is going to go well. So it's been a feature of this season that certain teams do well with low tyre wear and certain teams do well with with, uh, high tyre wear. And it's been the same with drivers. So it's been a real predictor. So as a content creator, it's been a little bit of a cheat code. So as long as you can sort of look back and go, is this generally a high wear track? Is this generally a low wear track? There are are drivers who are going to do better when there's less tyre wear. So Piastri is much closer to Norris when there's tyre wear. Norris is much closer to Lewis Hamilton. So you can and you can predict based on that. And you can say, right, McLaren actually don't have good race pace tire wear when it's tested. As we saw at Cota, it fell away at the end. And Ferrari's like an extreme version of that. So e- even when there's lower tire wear, they still are struggling with race pace. But when it's like it was on Sunday, they they're just disappearing. And in fact, Leclerc did really well to get it even close to the doomed strategy that they were trying to put him on. So, so yeah, it's, it's really interesting because if Pirelli have a limited amount of time in this sport and the rumours are that they're going to be out after the end of this next contract and someone like Bridgestone comes in who doesn't want to do this performance-wearing tyre, mm. then you're going to see the sport completely change. You're going to see different drivers be strong. And you have to even wonder, if, if this formula wasn't like this, would Lewis Hamilton have had that dominant period over, over Rosberg? Because I know Rosberg won 2016, but he all, Hamilton always had the faster race pace throughout that time. Would he have been so dominant over Bottas, who everyone was saying was, was great as he, as he came in? And, and would he still be ahead on race pace against Russell? So like, this is very much a, a formula that is around that Pirelli model. I mean, so it's, it's really interesting how critical managing tire stints and and we saw it in Qatar where the stints were shortened mm. suddenly all those weaknesses disappeared yeah thank you I'd mentally blocked out that whole stupid Ugh. weekend out of my oh, head no. and you just reminded me of the uh, clown show but going back to your comment about Bottas and Hamilton I think then at the time Bottas is suffering from what Checo is now and that's whoever's in that second seat is always going to look crap yeah. in comparison to Lewis or to Max. I think they sort of got 
they were both part of that second driver syndrome. Yeah. I still think Hamilton is a better driver than Bottas, but oh yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. But yeah, Hamilton like made Bottas look like a mug, and <laughs> I don't think anyone would have predicted that. But he did, didn't he? He made him look like okay. So Bottas could qualify, but then what Hamilton would do is sit behind him for the first stint and basically push just enough to make Bottas go over that tire wear threshold, and then he would just hunt him down and either pull um, a hammer time undercut. That's that period, wasn't it? That hammer time or or he would just rinse him on track because he was able to manage the tires uh, through that stint. So, okay, so let's say it wouldn't have changed that dynamic, but it gave Hamilton a superpower over over uh, Bottas. And I, I don't know if that's a strength, particularly of of Verstappen, but you've got to you've got to think it's likely he's had his whole career with these tires, and he's been faster than his teammates on these tires for his whole career. It could be a similar sort of phenomenon going on there too. Yeah. Yeah, so there you go. And I was going to say something really intelligent. Sorry, we we were, I took you away from Ferrari. That's what I did. Oh yeah, I made it all else. about Hamilton again, didn't I? I know there was something uh, else. I was Ferrari's, say too as well. Ferrari's too sad. Ferrari's too sad. I I want Ferrari to be better so that I can start hating them properly again. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You think at the moment it's fashionable to sort yeah. of hate Ferrari, but you want to? No. No. Yeah. They're too. You can't hate a puppy that's on the ground bleeding. You right. have to, you want to feed that puppy, turn him into a, a wolf, and then you can go, ah, oh, yeah, we have to all fear the hated and dreaded wolf. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon, though. By the way, I don't think you have to worry about losing any of your listeners to Missed Apex podcast. Looking looking at the chat, I don't think they want to be converted to, um, yeah, I don't think they want to be converted to a ham show. So I think, I think you're going to be all right. Oh, good, wicked, yeah. Anyway, hello, yeah. hello, chat. How you doing? And if you want to uh, join us for such amazing live episodes, uh, you can do so by looking at Engine Breaking on YouTube. There you go. Another nice little segue for you. And you can see what Dan looks like, which is like a beautiful mountain bear. Homeless. I'm looking very homeless at the moment. And to keep it in uh, the US tradition with the Grand Prix, I'm drinking some Mountain Dew. That's American, isn't it? That's an American thing, isn't Never it? Never had it. Never had it. Wouldn't recommend it. There you go. Um, yeah, very so, different vibe. This pod. Oh yeah, no, we ain't got a clue what we're doing here, mate. Right. So, Mercedes a shite. Uh, Ferrari a shite. Uh, who else was shite this weekend? Aston Martin. They were shite. Oh, this is weekend. that what we do? Is it like just because I actually I try with the content. It's so much easier to be negative. Like it's so easy to be negative because when people are doing a good job, it doesn't stand out and there's not much to talk about. So you just go, yeah, they they done good. It's not very interesting. So it's so easy to go. So I'm going out of my way to go, right, remember to be positive. But if that's not something you're hobbled by, that's brilliant. We can just go on full shit watch. Yeah. Blake is usually Sweet. here and he'll sort of interrupt me with some technical babble. Uh, right. But because he's I a moron and got himself stuck in an airport in America, I've got free reign at this show. Right, right, right. Let's go. Let's slag people off then. Who are we slagging off? Uh, Aston Martin's Martin. turn now. Who, as predicted by Fernando Alonso, finished yet another, another, yet another podium because they, <laughs> because Alonso said we will never finish off the podium again. Yeah, if you count the F two times, then they definitely finished on the podium. Aston Martin have annoyed me this season, and everything about Aston Martin has annoyed me. So I'm sure they're lovely people, but when it comes to you know picking apart a, a path through their PR and what they say, it's been it's been frustrating. So you had the mic crack bigging up. Lance Stroll saying that when he crashed at Singapore, that was a sign of how good he was. And then Lawrence Stroll just before this race said, actually, Lance isn't doing badly. It's unlucky. And he yeah. points to some DNFs and there have been some DNFs, but obviously the pace difference between him and Fernando Alonso isn't down to, to bad luck. There's something fundamental in the way they, they drive a racing car. So actually I, I was thinking after Qatar or after the race before that was it Qatar with the sprint race pushing his trainer and stuff I wondered if that was a tipping point and they were going to go all right let's just let's bail out of this now but the PR that has come out since I think they're doubling down I think they're going for it again and okay here's a here's a prediction that Aston Martin pace will disappear or appear to have disappeared over the next five remaining weekends but the gap between Alonso and Stroll will be smaller because that's the only way they can rescue plan Project Lance. Okay. Okay. I'm I hear you. Yeah. Yeah. My They're going to turn down the revs. They're going to add some choke to Alonso's engine. 
<laughs> the prediction we had on the last episode, it wasn't really a prediction. It was more of a, hmm, this is a funny convenience that uh, all of a sudden the Valkyrie is now uh, perfectly legal to be driven in uh, WEC. Ah, yeah, yeah. That, and that was part of it. That I thought they have an escape plan because I wonder, like, do you really want to subject Lance Stroll to another season of being hammered by Alonso? The only way to stop that is to nerf Alonso and just go, okay, well, fine, we're not pushing for podiums, but look, Lance and Fernando, they're quite close together. Or the other thing, which I think you'll like better, is to get Alonso to quit, to like manufacture some massive drama, because it wouldn't be the first time Alonso's had a bit of a falling out with people. Yeah, that's, that's, what, that, that's what I think. And then you need to get Perez in. I don't think get Aston Perez Martin back. needs to manufacture drama with Alonso. I, I think just he's wait. quite capable <laughs> of doing it himself. Yeah, you hear that clock ticking yeah that's the drama being manufactured yeah he seems to be doing okay so far but i think that's probably just because he's so far in front of stroll he's so far ahead he's just yeah. like uh, whatever but when the nerfing starts then it's going to get tense then it's going to get spicy uh so yeah their upgrades this weekend all turned out to be uh a struggle because uh basically they just had constant issues in every session with their brakes overheating so they'd vastly underestimated the amount of braking cooling that they needed for that uh, so yeah bad weekend for that um, Alonso out in Q1 which was his first non-Q3 appearance this season which I thought yeah, was quite which, surprising I didn't, I didn't realise he'd been that strong which goes to show that he's and he was only like uh, two tenths faster than, than Stroll I think as well in that session they got knocked out yeah yeah so the, they were on the struggle bus all weekend um, and they what did they do in the race? They were one of them retired, didn't they? Who was it that retired? Was it Stroll? Alonso? Alonso. No, Alonso retired. Yep. Yes, Alonso retired, and then um, Stroll shit housed his way into some points, didn't he? Through the yep. DNFs uh, disqualifications and that. So I was on I was on the ringer with, uh, with uh, the host there. Uh, the mighty Meg is American, and she was very happy that. Logan Sargent had gotten points. Yeah. So they were, but I'm like, okay, well, okay. I mean, technically, yeah. In a race where four people started from the pit lane, uh, <laughs> uh, I think there was three retired from contacts or two retired from contacts. And then you had two people disqualified. I, it's like, yeah, okay, I'm fine. But I'm not going to do jumping jacks. He did the minimum thing that you would expect him to do, which is finish quite close to his teammate. And he hit the curb sort of more or less by himself into turn one as well and apparently hit the anti-stall as part of that. I don't know whether the oh, anti-stall no, is one. Didn't realise yeah, that. Apparently, yeah. Either it kicked in or or he kicked it in. But it was still like an error. And then you go, okay, well, he finished near his teammate. Good. That's what okay, celebrate the point. Like I don't want to be mean spirited. It's been a tough year. Go and celebrate your point. That's one data point on the journey. But it's the same with Stroll really. He's had such a poor season that I I'm not gonna celebrate or see that as redemption that in a very high attrition race you know, he's got, he's got a point or two. Yeah. Yeah. I'm happy for him. Uh, but I agree. Alvin's making him look a bit, a bit silly. Bless him. And, and we've got no real evidence. I mean, he, Alvin's doing really well, but his shot at the top, he was comprehensively slower than Verstappen. And that's no, no shame because Gasly's had that. Perez has had that as well. But what we really want to see is Albon up against Gasly, Ocon up against Leclerc or something like that. You know, I don't think we've got a good gauge of how good a marker Albon is. No, I don't think it will ever happen. But I, I would like to see Albon back in the second Red Bull seat. I think when he was at Red Bull, that he was in there too soon, too much pressure, and it just all sort of capitulated. I think he would do better this time. I don't know how much better, but I think it would be better. Um. And I think he's been quite open saying that I appreciate Red Bull, but no, I'm done. <laughs> and I can respect that. I don't blame him. Oh, dear. Anyway, who wants to work for Helmut Marco anyway? Not me. Uh, well, Verstappen does, because all the rumours that are definitely true that have been swirling out of Red Bull this week, one of them was, if Marco goes, Verstappen goes. Uh, I doubt that. I can see a scenario where Marco is uh, probably corporately managed out is probably the nice way of saying it because I know Marco and um, Mataschitz, they were really Mataschitz, close yeah. and I'm not sure what that relationship's like with his son. 
his son's really nice. I've, you know, we've met him a few times. Um, his son's really nice, but I don't know. I don't know. Uh, Marco's getting on. Yeah, he didn't do himself any favours. Just, you know, being very outspoken and then falling foul of, of bad... It's bad PR. Like, if, if you had a PR person vetting his every comment, a lot of those comments wouldn't have gone out. But the unvetted <laughs> comments sort of got him into a, you know, a little bit of, of hot, hot, hot water. But that's how he thinks. That's how he is. And since then, there's been a never-ending stream of quotes. You know, so you, you might think, okay, uh, Helmer, let's just keep under the radar for a little bit. Let's just, let's let this blow over. But like, let's say after all the kind of Mexican comments, he was then be- being quoted and interviewed by every news source in Europe. Uh, it's like he went out of his way. Someone said, lie low helmet for a bit. And he just went, no, no. <laughs> you don't tell me what to do. I'm going to double the amount of quotes I do. Uh, yeah, that's so the, that's interesting. Yeah. That's the thing though. He answers to no one. I, f- I think the only person he answers to in the Red Bull hierarchy is the shareholders now. I think he's at that echelon where he's certainly not going to listen to Christian and he's certainly not going to listen to any of the PR people working for Red Bull Racing where they say, Marco, just just 10 minutes, just go walk it off. Yeah. I've got a Red Bull question though. If go, Helmut go Marco it. leaves, yeah. like he, that role doesn't need to be replaced, does it? It's not like he's the, the front jackman. They just wouldn't replace that role. I think they would replace that role. And you know who I think they should? And I don't know if they would, but I think they should. Mr. Tumble from BBC. No, Sebastian Vettel. Ah, really? Yeah. Nice. I think I can see a scenario where they get uh, Vettel to come in and do a sort of driver mentoring role. So uh, Pancon5, sorry, has distracted me there by saying Dr. Marco will be passionately adored this weekend. Will Helmut Marco be in Mexico? I don't think he should go. I don't think Red Bull should take him. Oh, if you thought those boos and the chanting of Checo at the US Grand Prix were bad. All right. What do you think of the boos? I don't Dan? care. Do you not care? I honestly don't care. If you, you want to look- pay $400, $500 to go to a race circuit and boo a multimillionaire, crack on. You go for oh, it, mate. Well, yeah, I've come from football stands. That's my sporting fan background. And uh, you definitely can can boo. And as a Colchester United fan, most of those boos were directed at, you know, our own players. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's happening at the moment. I picked the wrong season to start following Colchester United. The captain went to, they were, lost, they were losing 5-0. They lost 5-0 away to uh, Forest Green. And they went to the fans at the away end, their own fans. And the captain was there for 10 minutes, like apologising. <laughs> <laughs> as the fans were booing him and manager's gone now. But yeah, I think, I think you're right. It is part of sport. And in F1, people are kind of clutch their pearls about booing. And I think it depends on the intent. When it's pantomime booing, yeah. I mean, that's fine. I mean, there's a, obviously there's an, an England-Germany sporting rivalry that's very much come from football. So when it was Hamilton versus Vettel, sorry, sorry, I, t- I took you off the Vettel train there. But when it was Hamilton versus Vettel, he was very much a, you know, the pantomime villain. So I've been at Silverstone uh, 2013. I think his engine chugged to a halt down the, down the home straight. And every, it was good natured booing. Um, so you go, well, what was that booing at Verstappen? Uh, I know people said that it was a politician, but I've watched it back. I've watched it back a hundred times, actually, Dan. Um, no, <laughs> I've watched it back a few times. Once. And you could see the moment he's celebrating and he realized there's, there's booing coming and he's, he's head down and, and he's, you know, lives underneath his cap and it's disappointing. I think, I think it's not nice for the drivers. I know in Zandvoort, he advised Hamilton, well, just ignore it, just push it out of your head. I think those things are easier said than done. Like in a moment, I think, you know, as a content creator, you won't, you'll be resistant to most of the comments, but every now and then one will just come and get you and just tickle a, a nerve. And it looked like that had, that had happened to Verstappen. And then, and then you feel sad, even as someone who's not a fan. And you go, oh, he didn't get to enjoy his moment because of that booing. And it didn't sound actually that good natured. So I don't know. I'm torn. I went from pro booing and now I'm more on the fence. Yeah, I was pro booing because it's a sport and you can just boo people. And now I've softened on that and I've gone, I think maybe the nature of booing in sport has changed. So now it feels suddenly in a toxic social media environment maybe more of that has translated onto the booing does that make sense so now i'm more anti-booing because i think i haven't changed the booing has changed 
the uh, intent behind the booing has changed. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think I, so. I think yeah. I get where you're coming from. Like you say, pantomime booing is sort of like they say, yeah, yeah, yeah. referee get some glasses sort of thing. You know, uh-huh, very funny. <laughs> yeah. But then when it's sort of more, uh, I don't know what you'd call it, but yeah, I know I know what you're getting at. Yeah. So yeah. you should go boo. But I respect you as an athlete, but as a sporting rival, boo. Like, yeah. If you can yeah. make you're that, you're very successful, but I fucking hate <laughs> yeah. you. It, it, we admire your work, right? But boo. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if they can do that. No, I don't know. They should. They should definitely do that. Um, but yeah, like I say, mate, if people want to pay five hundred dollars to go boo a multi-millionaire who's going to go cry himself to sleep with a, the winner's trophy, then crack on mate crack on um what was i saying else i was gonna say this is the recurring i, write, I don't know how you do your show but i write things down i write down what i'm gonna say i plan it i've got i've, I've got, got show list. notes and i'm just <laughs> don't care this is we're going we're going nuts we don't care this week uh, there's nothing i can add technical right that blake wouldn't add so i mean so we'll, sorry, we can guess technical stuff. Yeah. I mean, what have we got? We've got, uh, so Mercedes, we slagged them off. Ferrari, we slagged them off. Aston, we slagged them off. The Sergeant, slagged off Sergeant. Sergeant, Stroll. I don't know who else left is there. There else left to slag off. Uh, uh, well, we, there's McLaren and we slagged off their, uh, their race pace a little bit, but they are genuinely impressive to be fair so like that upgrade really came in oh this is a question i was going to ask you earlier so if you you talked about ferrari setting up for qualifying mm. rather than setting up for the race and and this is a genuine question i was i was asking on sunday which is do do you have to choose between one or the other and it, like it can't be that because you wouldn't be so stupid as to keep setting up for saturday like Ferrari keep routinely doing well in qualifying for the last two years and then don't have a race pace to match. But you wouldn't, you wouldn't just keep doing that if you could choose. And I remember 2013, Mercedes had a very similar issue where they were on fire in qualifying. Do you remember 2013? They used to be on pole by like nine tenths of a second and then just drop down the grid like a stone. And the only tracks they could win were where you couldn't overtake. So I think they won <laughs> Silverstone. They won Silverstone that year, I think. So yes. yeah, there was the and and that was when Vettel did the oh they parked the silver bus comment. So I was thinking, well, it can't it can't just be a choice. Otherwise, they they would sometimes accidentally set up for race pace and no and no Saturday pace. So it's got it's got to be do do it's got to do with the way they t- warm the tires up. So if you're very aggressive on the tires, you can get a hot lap in, but then they're not going to last throughout a stint. And you go, yeah, but Ferrari have had that issue fundamentally. For, for nearly two years now, and they haven't been able to to sort that out. Um, but McLaren looked like they're in danger of doing that as well. I was hoping the upgrade might change that, but fundamentally, for whatever reason, they seem to have a, a car. Oh, this would be interesting. Do, do they struggle more on the rear limited tracks, for example, like like Cota was? So that would be an interesting one to try and shuffle through the data and and pick out. Did they struggle on race pace on high wear circuits where the wear was at the rear tire? Yeah, so I, I do wonder, like, is there is there someone in the team working on tire management, tire saving, or or is it once you get your concept, you've got the tire where you've got, you don't know until the season starts, and then you're stuck with it. Yeah, you can't inherently build a car and then while you're building it, go, okay, this is going to be, we're going to build this to be really good on tire wear. You don't know that until you get it to testing, and then you sort of either end up in a scenario where you're like, oh cool it's good on tires great we can work with that or oh jesus it's chewing the tires great we're gonna have to compromise everything to sort of balance that out um but the way ferrari i can't obviously speak for them but i think inherently that car is bad on tires i think that's just a given i don't think no matter what they do with it it, it's just bad on tires that car and that can be the geometry of the suspension, the, the way the mechanics of the suspension works, the downforce, things like that. But essentially it all comes down to how much energy can you put into the tyre, maintain performance without shredding the tyres. And Ferrari, I think, set their car up in a way where they could put a lot of energy into their tyre quick and make it quick over that one lap. And then when it comes to the race, they were like, oh, fuck, we've gone too far here. We're, we're putting too much energy into these tyres and we're just cooking them and burning them off. Mm, um, and and we're, with, with, the, with such a difference in how the tyres manage that race pace, it does make Saturday like annoying from a guesswork point of view because every Saturday 
the poor, uh, you know, Ferrari fans, they get their hopes up, don't they? They get that little moment of hope, which I let them, I always build it up and go, God, look, look, look how fast they look. They'll probably definitely win on Sunday. So, yeah. So, like, this is why I said qualifying kind of feels like it's never been less important unless you're at a track where passing is impossible, like Singapore. Um, McLaren, even with their upgrades, and this is, look, this is someone with a lot of love for McLaren. I'm not dumping on McLaren, but I do feel like this has been a little bit of a false dawn. So, it feels like, uh, yes, at Singapore, they were able to win. They were able to hang on and it was difficult to to overtake and they could have that little game of DRS swapping with Carlos Sainz. And they've had other, they've had other uh, events where Mercedes have dropped the ball and been so far behind that the race pace doesn't then make that gap up. So I'm just, I'm worried that McLaren well-wishers are, are getting their hopes up a little bit. Also, we're in a period where the other teams aren't developing as much and they're on their B spec. So I don't know when we get a little bit of a reset in the off season, cause everybody gets a little bit of a winter offset. I, I think that McLaren are going to settle comfortably back into fourth and fifth. Yeah. I've seen some people mention this on online. They're just like, Oh, I'm a McLaren fan and I can't wait for us to finish sixth next year. <laughs> sort of thing, you know, like where they just go, go backwards. It's just yeah. Like, yeah. Sorry, McLaren fan, but enjoy enjoy this season because no one else is developing, and even like Red Bull aren't developing anymore, are they? So, like, they, 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 we might get to like Brazil and get a Mercedes win at Brazil. Red, let's be honest, Red Bull don't need to develop that car. They, they they could stop developing it in March, and I think they'd be all right. To be perfectly honest with you, um, so yeah. Uh, right, I believe, Spanners, correct me if I'm wrong, but I've only got six minutes left with you because you're on a bit of a hard time tonight, aren't you? I think it's relaxed um, oh, a little bit because okay. I was I was a good boy with my voiceovers and I and I got them done, but I am... Um, if you think you're sick of the sound of my voice, no, no, listeners, no, no. I've, been, I've been having to listen to this stupid voice all day. Good. No, just checking. I didn't want to overrun because... Uh, we have two very important segments. Okay, let's do it. Show. Let's do it. Let's do the segments. Uh, I'd love to give you the bumper for them. However, I forgot to load them into my soundboard before we went live. Uh, so, uh, what's the what's the segment? And we'll this is we'll create watch. something. Fraud Watch with Dan and Spanners. Let's talk about the things that are not true. Let's do some skiing on the hill of truth, and that is the song that'll do. Do. Perfect, thank you. So Fraud Watch is basically where we pick our bad thing of the weekend, be it team, driver, anything to do with the F1 weekend. Uh, and uh, yeah, so as you are our guest, I'll let you go first. What was your uh, your bad thing of the weekend? Sprint weekend. Oh. Sprints, all sprints in general. Um, thank you to your man, Max Verstappen there, for saying the quiet bit out loud, because th- this is the thing we said right from the beginning, even when it was being proposed, is that you can't have a little bit of a Grand Prix and call it an event. You can't. You can't have a third of a Grand Prix and go, that's your sprint race. Because the whole point of a Grand Prix in the Pirelli era is that the varying tire compounds and the fact that they will wear differently with different drivers creates strategy and creates deltas that encourage overtaking strategy, wheel-to-wheel action. That develops and brews. We've, we've, we've come to learn over the last six or seven years with these tires that stint one is obviously corner one. And then there's this tire management chess game. And you can look for little clues in the timing screens. So you can kind of go, oh, okay, they're all maintaining 142s. Well, if they're all maintaining 142s, they must be, they must be tire saving. Oh, Hamilton's done a little bit of a push with a 140. So that's closer to his his real pace or they responded up front so are they going to respond to this pace and wear out their tires or are they going to drop back and it's been this stint one game of chess that then leads to all the strategy and that's been the best bit of grand prix racing really from a from a you know yeah from a strategy point of view you can't then just take that first bit and go well that's the sprint race just on you go it is like cooking up hard pasta you know and the sprint race (laughs) is just a bunch of angry F1 fans who have to watch it because we're addicted. They know that. Just crunching on their uncooked F1 pasta. Someone in the chat says, arguably the only thing Max has been more consistent on than his performance is his hatred of sprint races. I'm glad. I'm glad he said it like that. He said it fully out loud. You know, this is this is rubbish. You just all you're doing is you're taking away. It was worse when it set the grid. 
for the Grand Prix. That was worse because it unshuffled anything exciting yeah. from, from qualifying. So it is slightly better that it's separate. But also Saturday was, is my Grand Prix day. Why not, why not have, if you want to have a silly sprint, you do that, I don't know, do it on a Friday, do it on the Saturday morning so that we can just have our Saturday afternoon qualifying and our normal Sunday Grand Prix. I feel like they're determined to make this work because the viewing figures, as much as I don't like the sprints, I'm going to watch it. All right, I'm going to, and I've, I'll use my taco analogy, which is two tacos is the amount of tacos I want. But if you give me four tacos, I'm going to eat four tacos under protest. I'm going to say I don't need four tacos, but I'll continue eating them. Um, so I, I have to. I have to binge watch any F1 that, that's on. Um, but it's not as good. The quality of the weekend is not as good. Every individual session, competitive session, is diluted by having all those, those sessions. And Verstappen's right. We went into Sunday knowing Ferrari don't really have a chance. Clarence are going to struggle. Actually, Mercedes are looking pretty good. Um, and and the Red Bull have got the pace to, to come from sixth place and, and go and win. So, yeah, he was right. It's like opening your Christmas presents on Christmas Eve. Opening, And then you wake up in the morning and go, oh, I've only got this small one from Aunt Sylve. And it's just going to be like a sock. It's one sock because Aunt Sylve's horrible. Yeah, I've only got this one. One present under the tree you know from what they're gonna uh, do? Joe Bauer, and it's a sanding block. <laughs> a sanding block in his pocket. Oh, look at that. Look at that. The plank's worn down. Measure it. Measure um, so it. They're going to they're gonna keep it because, it's the, because of the viewing figures. So they're going to start going more and more ridiculous now. So I would say get, get braced for reverse championship grid, which at least will be fun. If they're going to do the sprint race, which they are going to, it should be substantially different it's got to be a completely different thing yeah. so carbon and- fiber fest but the thing is reverse championship grid it's probably going to be more fun than the grand prix so then we'll make that ah. the grand prix and make the endurancey two-hour one make that the endurance saturday for the main event which is the reverse championship smashy smashy race yeah no i'm, I'm with you don't half ass it if you're going to do it let's do it let's completely mix it up Bring back the hypersoft or the ultra soft just for the sprints only. Make it reverse yeah. grid. If you're gonna do yeah. it, do it. So yeah, no. You I'm could even you. say, yeah, if you have a hypersoft in, then you're introducing a pit stop into the sprint race, which yeah, then at least there's something. Yeah. No, I'm with you on that one. I'm with or you. Or I could have one. a strength of character to just ignore the sprint races. Well, but I don't yeah. I don't have that. Uh so my nomination uh, for this week's uh, fraud watch is probably going to come as no surprise to anyone, but it's whoever cocked up or dreamt up that uh, Ferrari strategy um, by making Charles do the one stop. Uh, at least, you know, Mercedes tried it with Hamilton and they tried it with <sighs> Lando, but they're very quick to realise this isn't going to work. So they recovered. Not quite quick enough. Well, but no. Yeah. But not like Ferrari, who were like, no, we're leaving Charles out there, and in 13 laps from the end of the race, we're going to ask him if he wants to change strategy. What do you want him to do at that Horrendous. point? Horrendous. When, when you look at, um, who's the strategist at, at Red Bull? Hannah. Hannah. Hannah, is it Smith? Yes. Yeah, so they, they to me, they knew exactly what the strategy was going to be. And whilst everybody was going, I think we can make a one-stop work, I think Red Bull the whole time were like, no two-stop and and they went for it they were decisive and it reminded me of Re- like red bull in 20, 2018 say red bull 2017 2018 where they didn't have the car but i felt like they were the best team operationally throughout all of that and they kept affecting the battles up front by 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 being aggressive and they seemed to favor okay let's let's not kick the ass out of a tire let's do the strategy that actually lets us go racing and the amount of times they pulled the trigger on the early stops and then made everyone ahead of them panic and go oh my god no you know we can't we can't now ignore the charging red bulls on the fast tires behind us and and that's kind of i think if they hadn't have done that if they hadn't been on a two stop i think more of the teams one stop might have worked because like in singapore you get everybody slowing down to make sure that they do the one stop because track position is so important maybe if red bull had gone for a one stop other people wouldn't have been you know, panicking because you look at Lewis Hamilton in that window between Red Bull and his stop, they were looking for a one stop. And then 
Hamilton's lap times hung on, hung on, hung on, and then they kind of went off a cliff. Um, <laughs> so you go, you go, yeah, but that wouldn't have been an issue if Red Bull was still out. Red Bull would also their lap, lap times would be going out and out and out. So this is what I loved about Red Bull's strategy in the before time. It was just this front front foot. They're always on the front foot proactive, with, with strategy. They're proactive. They had a plan and they stuck to it and uh, and they caught everybody napping on the strategy front. Yeah. Yeah. I, again, I don't know this is the reason why. However, I would like, in my mind, I'm taking this as uh, canon and as fact, in that uh, Verstappen's medium, medium hard strategy, where he went from medium to medium. Yes. I really hope that was partially down to Red Bull strategy going, look, if we put Max on another medium, we're going to make all the other teams absolutely trip over themselves trying to figure out whether to do a one-stop or not. What? It worked. And it was so decided. And it also sent a message that we know what we're doing. You're dithering over one or two. We know exactly what we're doing and you're wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because looking at it now, Max was the first one to do uh, medium, medium. And then everyone else, there's a couple of people that followed him onto the medium and then some people went onto the hard but yeah I think it just caused a lot of uh, confusion down the pit lane because just I think... another yeah but yeah no I'm down for that so yeah just another thing to hate about Red Bull brilliant strategy yep the, the pit stops drive me mad what on what, what is it that that lets Red Bull do two second pit stops and then you've got Mercedes regularly doing three second plus uh, Miss, I was gonna say Mercedes. Sorry, Red Bull. They've got a very cool pit stop practice set up. Where have they? Yeah, so they have a full, basically effective pit lane built in the building, and uh, it's not secret. You can go look at it on. It's on Google. Have you had a go? Do they no, let you have a go? No, no. Oh, they don't let you have a go. I mean, if if I wanted to, and I asked, probably yeah. But I've seen those those guns, mate. They will just. They will break every bone in your wrist. And unfortunately, as a computer guy, I need my wrists and fingers to work to earn a living. So, um, but yes, they have obviously a full setup, a full gantry, and then they've got an electric car, which they can get someone to sit in and drive it in. And uh, yeah, no, they work, Love it. they work very hard. So Wolf said, we've had an, he finally has admitted the pit stops aren't good enough, but he said they've, They've had this approach, which they, they share with high handicap golfers, which is they were trying to avoid the blow up pit stops where they lose like 10 seconds and, and sort of settling for a three second stop. Mm. And that's what I do in golf. You know, I don't go for the big curl around the tree, just punt it back onto the fairway. We'll get there eventually. I'll settle for my double bogey. But to hear, you know, one of the top teams in F1 saying, no, we deliberately had this, this cautious avoid the double bogey strategy to pit stops is actually quite, you go, oh, wow, okay. Uh, okay, well, I mean, look at what um, Williams are doing. Look at what Red Bull are doing. Surely that's got to be the aim. You know, the, the wheels aren't flying everywhere on Red Bull stops. In the worst case scenario, it's a, it's a little slower. And the, the slow stop for Verstappen was down to the brake issue, I think, at the weekend. But that, it's really rare to see a three and a half second stop for, 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 for a non-Perez Red Bull. Yeah, uh, I think... Is either Max or Checo, I can't remember which one. They came in and I saw the pit stop and there was a slight issue with the rear left and I was like, oh God, it's a slow stop. It was still a three second stop, but for a Red Bull stop, that seemed like eternity. Whereas a lot of the other teams, three seconds, it's not their worst day at the office. So yeah, I'm trying to find it now, but there was some really interesting stats someone put out on Twitter earlier where they were talking about how uh, Mercedes... uh, Pit stops. I think only like only five percent yeah. of them have been under two and a half seconds or something mental like that. I don't know. There you go. So Sabu's come in with a bit of the stats here. Oh uh, uh, yeah, here we go. Yeah, so here we go. Yeah, Red Bull forty five percent of pit stops are below two point five. Mercedes two percent are under two point five. That when you look at the margins of the race on Sunday, you say, well, the pit stops. You know that that is well within the realms of if Mercedes pit stops were better. They would be able, they would have won that race. If they had been more decisive with the strategy, they would have won that race. And you know, and then there's a bunch of other on track stuff. So if you happen to be a Lewis Hamilton fan, that is that is frustrating. And you go, okay, it's fine now this season, but what if there's a you know, a title contention year next year or 2025 or even 2026? 
that's not that's not going to be good enough. And now you kind of scroll back to 2021 and cast your mind back to some slow stops there, some weird strategy calls back there in the in the tightest championship we've seen in this this decade or this century. And you go, well, it's a big issue. It's an issue. Yeah, like where Mercedes purposely sabotaged Lewis Hamilton during the Monza race, so uh, he had no choice but to block Max Verstappen into Turn One, and and poor poor innocent <laughs> Max had don't, no don't. choice but to uh, take avoiding action. And and Hamilton, he went, he went and he slid, he jammed his car underneath Paul Verstappen's car, didn't he? There and and then yep. he was headbutting his headbutting his rear tire yeah. from inside the cockpit. When will he stop? Yeah, he was like, oh, don't worry, I'll get pictures of their floor for you. Don't worry. Wham! Triggered. Yeah. Uh, triggered. Oh, Jesus, bloody hell! But that's the standard of driving you get from people from Stevenage, mate. You know, I, I, I I've worked in Stevenage for for eight years, and I can't disagree. Yep, exactly, exactly. So yeah, uh, right. Well, now we've upset all of Team LH once again. Um, it's time for the Good Boy Award. Can you give oh, me nice? We get give to be me, nice. Yeah, can you give me something for the Good Boy Award? I am gonna give the good boy award then to. Can I give it? Does it have to be a person? No, it could be any. Same same okay. rules. Anything. It can be an ethereal concept. Yeah. If it wants to be, I'm just. I just go back to like the layout of Kota. I absolutely love it. I yeah. think. Yeah. I just the whole circuit. I know people don't like the Americanisms. Some people get a bit upset about the in the red corner. It's Fernando Alonso. I love all that. I love the fireworks that nearly took out the helicopter oh, camera. Oh god, yeah, that, I saw that. <laughs> it was so close. It was so close. Like, do you know, like, I I hate helicopters and I, I've been in many helicopters, unfortunately, and, and every single time I've just assumed I will probably die in this helicopter. It's the most fragile aircraft you could imagine, and they were firing pyrotechnics. Those spinny blade things, that's all that keeps them in the, in the air. There's no secret magic. So yeah, that was that was close. But yeah, I love I love the fact that they just go all out. I like the fact that there's concerts there. Uh, I like the fact that they went for just this big circuit, emulating some of the best stuff from uh, around the world. Turn one is probably one of the most interesting racing corners on the F1 calendar. And there's a few of those. There's a few of those error generators that invite a lunge. And yeah, I just, I love the track. I think they, they get it. They get the show. They get the, the, the fundamentals of racing and uh, yeah, bring some more support series there as well. So bring, it's a shame that we're not seeing as much F2 and as much F3, but really make that a festival of motorsport. And I would, I would love them to build another Cota. I'm not looking forward to Vegas and Miami has not, uh, has not found a place in my heart at the moment. So yeah, big up for Cota, really flying the flag for, for racing in the United States. Yeah. And also flying the flag for when you build something, make sure you build it correctly so you don't get yeah, subsidence. Don't build it on a swamp. That was a mistake. They shouldn't have built it on a swamp. But apart from building it on a swamp, they did very, very well. I like Kota. Go Kota. Yeah. Yes. And someone also reminding us in the chat that they had F1 Academy there this weekend. Yes. Uh, shamefully, I have to admit, I didn't actually see any of it. I caught some of the, the practice session and, you know, like the, 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 Risk is that those cars look very small, small and slow around a big track. And that's why Formula E isn't going off and doing, you know, Brands Hatch or Silverstone. So actually, they didn't look bad around that track. They, they looked like pretty meaty cars. And I think it's a step down in power from W Series. But like when you see W Series in person, you think, oh, those cars look small. Maybe they're underpowered. You see it in person and those cars look meaty. They're proper, they're proper race cars. And it looked like the... The drivers were challenged coming to the track limits. Um, I didn't catch the race, but by all reports, there was some good racing there as well. It's a little unfair, I think, that they have Garcia there, who as soon as she was announced to be there, like that, she was a shoe-in to, to go on and win that championship because she'd had all that experience in W Series as well. But it, it looks like it's all gone well. So I was, con- I was kind of hoping it wouldn't be televised this season because I wanted them to just have a chance to get to get on with it find and just uh, yeah find the feet for the series to make sure they've ironed out anything that would make them look like a joke and just give you know chauvinist bigots the chance to jump up and down and go oh see oh, and say the things they say you know you only have to look at when jess hawkins did the the test laps in the aston martin what, what and everyone's de- yeah everyone's desperate to try and shoot her down and uh and then you look at like the young driver tests there's been like three or four there's been beerman there's been a few you just don't see that same level of comment so 
I feel like if you're going to create this oh, breeding ground for, for women in single seater racing, I, I would love to see like media pressure just just taken taken away, but it doesn't look like they're going that way. So, you know, by all accounts, it looked good. The racing was good and good luck for, for next season. Uh, anyone that can beat me in a karting race is all right in my book, which basically means everyone, to be fair. So, so yeah, good luck to them. Um, oh, my. This is where you promo all my stuff so everyone knows where to, to follow me. And I no, get I've got to do my to good thing the weekend first, yeah. Have you? Yeah, I'm, oh, I, I didn't give you done. my good thing yet. What's my, I, yeah, fuck it, I'm going for it. I'm going all patriotic for a country I've got no part in. Uh, I'm going. F- My good thing is Logan Sargent shithousing a point from the disqualifications of Charles and Hamilton. Stealing a living. Yeah, stealing a living. Like yeah. I did in F1. Now it's Logan's turn. Good on you, son. What yeah. The uh, fuck you've, is a kilometre? You've done... I keep seeing that everywhere. You've got, you've got to go... Well, okay, you're allowed your happy day, but I'm going to stick with he did the absolute minimum required and the fact that that is being celebrated a lot is actually quite damning. Yeah, he did, so, he know, did you, the bare minimum and it paid off for him, Spanners. He is the hero to many slacker out there in the world. Yeah, he's been quiet quitting since the beginning. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, so show me consistently being up with Albon and I'll give him his props. But I don't begrudge a one-point party. Okay, okay, fair enough. Uh, right, so, yeah, I think that's pretty much it now. So this is the bit where you get to plug your shitty show. Yes, Missed Apex Podcast, where we have a panel of varying competence yelling things about F1 so soon after the race that there's a very low probability that any of them are right, but we do strive to be the first podcast released out of the door. And in fact, hey, Dan, this is quite, quite funny. Because the race ended at, what, 11, uh, you know, quite late. I was going to say, I, you were I, so I, early. We we then recorded our show at 11.30 and I had it out by 2am. But we're actually, I think, the second highest podcast in the US charts at the moment. The all third right, in the UK all right. On, this was on Monday, just because no one else had bothered recording really late at night and they hadn't woken up yet. So we had this brief moment of, of glory. But we do try and get the race reviews out nice and quick. So it's a quick place, as long as you don't mind uh, in inaccuracy and a lack of post-race information as, as a baked in part of the show you might want to come and hang out hang out with us on a Sunday night yeah you were so early this week that you found out Lewis got disqualified oh, halfway through your show live on the stream and I did not hide my emotions <laughs> well <laughs> I was so I was so disappointed and uh, oh yeah people are reveling in that they're like yeah cry more yeah cry more cry yeah more. I was I couldn't I cried all my tears I cried them all out because that's sport and I care that is why you slack off until Tuesday like we do sometimes and then you got the full picture. <laughs> Your live chat just said, Spanners, we're here listening to this. Do you really think we want accurate info? Good point. Good point. Good point. <laughs> and hello, live chat. It's been lovely hanging with you. Yeah, no, Blake is the one that's got all the sort of relevant info. I just sort of stumble my way through it, swear a little bit, make a reference to Traeger Grills in the hope they'll sponsor us one day. And, this uh, has been, I have to say, you have a, a different podcast style and a different presenting style to any other F1 host and any other F1 pod. The vibe has been Immaculate. disarmingly... No, it's been disarmingly relaxed. I think you're a wonderful, kind human being. I've loved knowing you uh, over the last four or five years, and I, I hope you keep at it and you keep keep this podcast going because I, I, love, I love seeing you do F1 content. Yeah. You hear that, Blake? Fuck off. We don't need you. You can, <laughs> you can stay in immigration. <laughs> Yeah, oh, is that, are they not letting him back now. in? No, I think are they he not letting his, him back in? He missed his connecting flight, I think. Oh, I think, check, double check his passport, I think, just to, mm. yeah. Yeah, he's been caught smuggling uh, sandwiches back for catering. Right, that's it. That's the end of the show. You can all piss off now. Follow me, Spanners Ready, on Twitter if you want as well. 